Hello and welcome once again to episode 119 of Code Completion. We are a group of iOS developers and educators helping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing your code. My name is Dimitri and I'll be your host once again for this episode and I'm joined today by my fellow completionist, Spencer. Hey there. So every time we start a new episode, uh, we get into the same rigmarole of why does Macedon not have quote toots? Um, and that is because I want to I want to say to the world that this episode is going live. Uh, but in order to do that, I want to like quote tweet my last post that said we're going to be live, so that way there's like context and there's a link, uh, and it all makes sense. Um, and I guess this gets into the history of like quote teats uh, in general because they started off being this like super janky way of posting someone else's content in which. They would just copy paste the tweet and right. put RT in front of it as if they're like retweeting uh, and optionally also add context um, in like the same uh, the same go. So all of that kind of uh, is not great, but that's the that's the model that TikTok and Instagram still have. So I guess nothing changes. Um, but what Twitter quickly changed towards was when you want to quote tweet something, you copy the link to that tweet. Um, right. and then you like also add your context. And then that became more of an official like button, uh, that you can go ahead and, and do stuff. And people have been wondering, well, like Macedon has been a- available for what feels like a decade, just growing in the background. Um, I think it's less than that, um, yeah. by, by a long shot, but, uh, over the po- past few years, they, there have been many debates as far as like, Hey, what kind of uh, quote tweeting support is Mastodon going uh, to support? Um, and for the most part, it has been something that uh, the developers of Mastodon, and I mean like the server developers of Mastodon, didn't want to add because quote tweeting along with it uh, came like significant uh, hatred towards other people um, because Twitter is a wonderful place. Um, and Macedon did not want to follow down those footsteps. So they didn't want to give uh, a very easy way of shifting an entire audience on someone who didn't deserve it, right or wrong, whatever they posted. Sure. Uh, they were expecting it to be seen by their smaller audience. And I say that with like a loose uh, a loose asterisk because we all know that everyone wants to be super famous. And I'm just kidding there. Um, but I would say like... A f- Probably a lot of people do like posts on social media with the goal of uh, becoming large and getting notorious. And they love the fact that they all of a sudden get all the attention in the world and then quickly regret it. Um, but that isn't everyone. And Macedon is trying to be that safe place for everyone. So that's sure. why it didn't get it up until then. That said, there were like a ton of PRs and issues that were tracking specifically uh the ability to like quote boost um and it seems like it may take the form of like a reply and boost um where like you boost it separately and then you reply to it in one action mm. um but there's a lot of hesitancy to just like add a button that like does the thing um there's a lot of consensus that if you were to post a link to a mastodon post inside of another post uh, that it should like render uh, the the post in line like that. Everyone kind of agrees it would be a good thing because that's like the whole point of uh, linking to another post. 
Um, The part that people disagree with is having an easy button to just like fling your audience on top of someone else. That said, if everyone wants this, clients are going to add support to it. And it's just going to be the same situation as Twitter. Um, So it seems like what the server, what the developers for Mastodon want to do uh, is instead of doing that, which wasn't great for people. Um, to instead build this support server side so that way there are controls per account to say, hey, do you want to be quote tooted? Uh, if you are quote tooted, do you want the resulting like fanfare or do you just want it to be completely muted and you are unaware of it? Or do you want to know that people are kind of like talking about you uh, on the side? Um, give the user controls and what shape nice. those controls might take. Who knows? Um, that's to be determined. But uh, it seems like all those issues kind of got reopened um, and uh, probably not at fault of Ivory, who posted a, a poll asking, like, should we just do it anyways? Uh, that was like a resounding yes. Um, <laughs> it seems like people are going to be a little bit more patient to do it more properly um, rather than just like jumping all in. Nice. That's cool that they're being, I guess, more thoughtful about it and trying to make sure that um, like you said, the user has control and there are some sort of safeguards to say like, yeah, just don't even let it happen. Or, you know, there are sort of a few dials you can turn to make it kind of work for whoever the user is like for the code completion, Twitter account, like, yeah, like we're just going to turn it on probably and just, you know, like that's that's the whole point is please so quote to us <laughs> well yeah that too but like just so me and dimitri can like retweet it basically uh quote mm-hmm. tweet it or but code completion whatever. the account wants to be famous yes um, incidentally i, say, I also want to be famous so. <laughs> that's the only reason i'm doing this podcast with dimitri i suffer with dimitri every week is just to be famous and then I he's can gonna throw it. me by the wayside immediately right. once he reaches I... that famehood <laughs> That's my only goal in life is to blow up, man. Uh, um, no, I, that's that's a joke, just so everyone's aware. <laughs> <laughs> um, on, on the topic of becoming famous, for all of uh, those that don't know, uh, there are a lot of services that help people move from Twitter to Mastodon. Uh, and mm. as people move over, like you are kind of encouraged to check... Sorry. You are kind of encouraged to, to check these services... Uh, regularly, um, so that way you don't potentially miss uh, any like any new users that moved on. Um, but uh, the the thing that is important to note is that the only reason these services work is because in your Twitter profile description you can post uh, your Mastodon handle. Um, so in our case, that would be at code completion at Mastodon social. So like those right. two ats combined uh into one mega at um and uh that is what allows those tools to kind of detect if you're following people on twitter if they have a mastodon account so um if you want to like be findable uh and you just made a mastodon account go put that mastodon account into your twitter profile um and that way anyone who follows you on twitter that also uses these tools will be able to just instantly follow you on Macedon and be happy and not realize that they uh, weren't uh, following Spencer, for instance, uh, which right. I thought I was following Spencer this whole time, but apparently <laughs> I wasn't. So I was a bad friend. Um, so he discarded as a, me. 
as a good friend, I, I told him about this superpower. And as a better friend to everyone here, uh, I'm telling everyone here about that superpower. So uh, go go definitely check that out. Um, so that way, uh, as you move over to Macedon, uh, which I think you should. At this point, I'm not using yeah. Twitter anymore. I don't think any of the uh, iOS and Mac community is really putting all their eggs in Twitter um, at this point in time. Um, and we've all kind of moved over to Macedon. So it's a really chill place over there right now. Everyone's kind of talking and being more open to talking to people who, uh, like they're not falling back and stuff like that. So yeah, give it a shot. It's, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure. I just haven't been on like social media in general lately. I think probably due to the whole Twitter saga going on, but, um, yeah, I mean, I've effectively stopped using Twitter. I, I'll check it on occasion because there are people that I follow on there that aren't on Mastodon. So I'm not posting anything, not really posting anything on Mastodon either. But uh, I check Ivory a lot more than I do Twitter now. So um, I, I hope that there is a larger following or like a larger kind of exodus of people from Twitter over to Mastodon. So I can just kind of only use mastodon and just you know call it good yeah but, um yeah so it's there i mean it, there seem to be people kind of by the day uh that are moving over so i saw that uh, maybe it was steve tron smith that just moved over um yep yeah i mean people are doing it so um i think mastodon had no chance before this whole thing, but now it seems like they're getting a lot of traction. And I think the cool part is, uh, like we talked about with this whole quote to thing, um, the developers are kind of rising to the occasion of making it a platform that people will want to stay on. And this is just like a reactionary thing to like Twitter sucking. It's like, this is, this may be the new home of, of many people on social media, which I think is great. So, yep. Um, so one more time, that, that site is move to dawn M-O-V-E-T-O-D-O-N dot org. Um, and yeah, it just automates the whole process. Sign into Twitter, sign into Macedon, and it gives you follow buttons. You can follow everyone great. in one go. Uh, makes it yeah. super easy. Um, and yeah, there's a ton of clients available on Macedon. So like, pick your poison. Um, there's one that's built entirely with SwiftUI, completely open source, called Ice Cubes. Oh. Uh, so cool. if you don't like... A certain part of it, you can just go in and fix it, uh, which I think is super cool. Um, very very cool. in line with the the open source model of Macedon itself. Um, and they support quote tweets currently uh, with or without the server backend part. Nice. Uh, so if, if you really want quote tweets, um, quote tweets, quote tweets, uh, then go to Ice Cubes. Uh, Ice Cubes will, will set you up. Nice. That's very cool. On the topic of other things that are evolving, uh, we have Swift, who consistently... Uh, is evolving. I don't know if we hit Swift 5.8 yet, or if that's like the next major revision. I know like we got a bunch of OS updates, so maybe we got Swift 5.8. I didn't really check. Um, I've been, I've been, uh, like, it's shameful to say this, but I've been doing like web development lately, uh, so I have not launched Xcode in a hot moment. Um, oh. But yeah, I look forward to jumping back into there, um, and I mostly look forward to doing that because there are some new additions to Swift um, that we can talk about. Uh, the first one is rather interesting. It's custom reflection meta metadata. Um, and you might be wondering what on earth is this? But think of it like 
uh, as property wrappers for uh, not calling those properties, um, but giving information about them. So for instance, you can go ahead and make a, uh, a reflection metadata type um, that would describe which parts of a test case are testable. Um, right. And then you don't need to use Xcode test case. Uh, and then you don't need to name your methods test. You just have to but at test in front of all those things. Um, and that would just work from then on. Uh, so this is a super interesting um, uh, proposal. Uh, currently, uh, Xcode test case works because it's built on Objective-C. And Objective-C provides this functionality of being able to read all the methods and all that, which Swift does not. Um, but custom reflection metadata will allow anyone and library authors, whatnot, uh, to write these own things, uh, themselves and provide, uh, not only support for testing, but maybe you want support for, uh, like automatically building, uh, like database queries or, uh, database schemas. Like that can definitely become possible now, uh, with these, uh, with this reflection metadata. So, uh, I'm pretty excited about this. Yeah, it's super cool. I um this this is the first article that Dimitri linked. Obviously, it's the first one we're talking about. It was a lot for me. I was like, "Holy crap!" There's a lot of information here. Um, mm-hmm. But I think the the example of um, the test case and being able to um, it, it talk. I can't. Uh, the proposal's long, but it talks about like the you having to put the word "test" at the start of the test case uh, for it to actually be testable, runnable by XE test is confusing and, you know, may interfere with, um, other methods that you just like test this thing, but you don't mean it for it to be like a unit test or UI test. So, uh, having this like at test, um, makes sense. And I think that was kind of the most concrete example that made sense to me. So I'm sure there are going to be many use cases for this, but, uh, it seems like a good kind of, um, I guess First step, right? in Swift. Yeah. That like, is missing where we're kind of still relying on objective C. And if we eventually want to get to a future of purely swift for everything, this is uh, a good first step. And there's also another um, proposal that kind of, that we'll talk about that kind of gets to that future as well. So, yeah. Yeah. And this is mostly important if you're running swift, not on Apple platforms, because there's no objective C there. Um, So for example, on Linux, uh, there's, a hard-coded implementation that supports Xcode test case in order to be able to like do that at compile time um, and uh, emit that information so that way you can actually run tests. Uh, so this is something that would make that more of a language feature rather than a specific compiler feature for Xcode test case. Um, this is just kind of like the, hey, this is a really obvious place where we want to use it in Swift. Uh, but you can use it in all these other situations um, that could be very interesting. Um, namely, like I can see it even being used in things like Codable, which is also a compile time feature. It's not a, really a language. Uh, it's not really built on language features. It's like you could not write Codable before they added support for Codable into the mm. language itself. Um, and for all intents and purposes, you should have been able to do that, right? Um, it's just a protocol, uh, but stuff like this, like while this might not support Codable in its entirety, it starts that process of giving more rich metadata as an opt-in, uh, experience that way, um, library authors like you and me, uh, can go ahead and 
build these uh, features out in the way that we see fit. And that's, right. I think, cool. Yeah, super cool. Um, we've got a new uh, access control modifier, which I think is awesome. This makes total sense uh, for package. So we're kind of in this future where Swift packages are the norm. Luckily, we're not using um, CocoaPods or Carthage anymore, which is fantastic. Uh, but this kind of it walks us through this kind of an instance where um, you may you know make like there's this like a game engine. So you initialize the game engine and you run the game engine. Um, but maybe that's something that you only want to keep within the package. And the way that you would kind of interact with the package is calling a play method. Well, if it's all public, then they could just initialize the game engine and kind of start it themselves in in the app where kind of i guess the um it's not intended way to use that it, right yeah the intended way is to like use the play method so it makes it so that it, we just have this like not enough granular control of access control to make something available within uh a, just a package uh but not outside of the package if that makes sense like you'd have to mark something as public and it would kind of serve both purposes, which is perhaps not what you want because it's exposing uh, methods or properties that you just don't want to be exposed. So this uh, package level um, access control modifier kind of eliminates that problem by just making a slightly lower level, uh, or I, kind of weird, I guess it's higher level in some ways because it's not on the module level, it's in a package mm -hmm. level. Um, but yeah, just a, kind of a little bit more access control um, control yep and you might be wondering like sense. why would you want to do this if you can just have it all be in one like target on your package um and the reason for that is you can actually optimize your builds to be significantly faster if you the developer know how to organize the code into individual modules um and a package is just a collection of targets with each of those of which are modules there are ways around this, uh, which the proposal like calls out. You can yes. use SPI, which like purposely pokes a hole um, for implementation purposes. Uh, there's at implementation only, which does something similar uh, without requiring like the full import of that of that library. Uh, so those things um, are currently possible, but this gives yet another level of control, which um, I think will make things a lot cleaner. Um, because then you can go ahead and separate things semantically in a way that makes sense to you, the developer, uh, but also control like how much of that becomes public API before people start relying on it, right? Because at the end of the day, stuff is not public API, not because they're like hiding it from you. Uh, it's more because uh, they are not sure that it's going to stay in that shape uh, long term. Uh, and if you start relying on it, then your code is kind of hard coded to those names and those uh, structures and that's kind of not going to change from that point forward um, or if they do change it then your app is going to suddenly break uh, the next time you need to compile it um, or worse if your app is shipping against a platform like mac os or ios uh, you're not even including that code so if it suddenly disappears from under you then that's going to be a hard a hard crash um, yeah. that your app is going to experience because it's not going to be able to link uh, those symbols um to the to the libraries that are included with the os because you're just using something else so um 
that's the true reason Apple doesn't want you using private APIs. They just don't have the bandwidth to like make all of them uh, super polished enough to be public. Uh, that said, I still endorse um, having fun with private APIs. <laughs> I think it's fun. You got to do it's stuff fun. that Apple uh, doesn't let everyone do, uh, but they clearly use in their own apps. And sometimes it's necessary, right? So it's a good yeah. skill to to have if you ever need to. Yep. Uh, that said, uh, there are also some past um, uh, evolution proposals that we talked about uh, that got accepted and they have implementations along with them. Um, so the first is the if and switch expression. So if you remember, this allows you to say like var uh, my uh, my value equals if something, then this, else this, um, or to be much more complex with that and have a bunch of else ifs uh, in there or have an entire switch statement. Um, previously, you had to like wrap this in a self-executing closure uh, and now you don't um, or you don't yet. Uh, soon you won't have to. Um, because that is going to be a supported thing in the, in the, in the language, which is really cool. The acceptance, um, like post on the Swift forums kind of goes into detail of which parts of the proposal are being, uh, implemented and which parts are not, uh, which parts people brought up that don't really apply and which parts are kind of open to future, um, future, uh, thought. Uh, and yeah, give it a read and see, see what's coming. Yeah. Super cool. Um, another one that got accepted, we talked about this, I don't know, it, it probably four or five episodes ago was those discarding task groups to, uh, discard the results as I think as they're going through each iteration mm-hmm. of the task group, um, sounds like it says the proposal was received favor- favorably. Um, and it looks like, um, it's been modified slightly. It's been accepted, but there were uh, modifications that were provided during the review process um, in response to early review feedback. So um, some changes, I, I don't know what the changes are, but it's like minor like... naming because it wasn't originally called discarding task groups. So, Oh, cool. Yeah. Nice. Um, and yeah, it's already implemented uh, in main. So it's coming very soon to Swift near you. Nice. Similarly with uh, at UI application main, uh, that is also going to be deprecated in favor of at main. Kind of everyone saw this coming since the templates no longer use it. uh, And it's good to finally get rid of it to minimize confusion. Uh, And same for importing Objective-C for declarations, uh, which will just make interfacing with Objective-C code a lot nicer. Um, It doesn't solve all the problems. Like it's not going to touch the issues with the REPL and with the debugger. Uh, those are going to continue to be issues, but it doesn't need to like fix everything. Um, those are existing issues as is. So uh, I think this is a good uh, step forward. Definitely. It's always good to see. I, I don't know. I don't follow the pulse of, of like the Swift evolution process near nearly as much as Dimitri does, but it's, it's cool to kind of see come of the, some of these come to light and realize that like Swift is going to be better. And there's like, I always think like, man, Swift is in a great place right now, but then something comes along and I'm like, oh yeah, that would be nice. So it's always cool to see that things can be changed uh, and improved. And, you know, we're on Swift 5 point, whatever. We've been on Swift 5 for a long time, but along the way, smaller things are getting um, improved, even though we're not like on Swift 6, whatever that, that entails. So, Yeah, and the Swift uh, blog actually like, 
goes and lists everything when stuff does get released. So Swift 5.7, for instance, was relatively minor, but included a ton of changes. So uh, when Swift 5.8 eventually gets released, um, we'll similarly have uh, a huge list of things that we can go over. Uh, though now, since we're kind of keeping up with it a little better, uh, we probably won't need to go into as much detail. We'll just be able to like, say, hey, this is in. Go use it. It's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's that's exciting. On the topic of other things that are exciting, uh, we have a bit of uh, deprecation for the old stuff that we shared, um, and we have some M2 follow-up. Uh, and some of that is just errors on our part in terms of like misunderstandings, and the first one there is the Mac Mini is actually the same size. Apple just changed how they measured things, um, and the fine folks at Mac Stadium confirmed it's the same size. It fits exactly like the other ones fit. It's a tiny bit heavier, uh, which they don't really care about, I don't think, because yeah. they just put these on it's metal racks that just yeah. don't care. Um, and yeah, they took them apart. So if you want to see pictures of what it looks like on the inside, uh, it's still comically <laughs> a little bit empty. Um, but uh, yeah, pretty interesting nonetheless. Yeah, it's interesting that they like updated this, the... Um you know, the, the, uh, what would you call that? The dimensions, um, to be more specific from like 1.4 inches to 1.41 inches, but they didn't like back catalog that. So it's all the same. Uh, mm -hmm. if it's the same chassis, like that would make sense to me. I get why there was so much confusion. So, um, interesting. Uh, so kind of side note about this, um, this is on a max stadium blog post. Um, I didn't know that they had, iMac Pros, like, sort of rack-mounted uh -huh. that you can they, use. That's crazy, dude. <laughs> yeah, so I think it was at an ElteConf that I went to. They showed off the mounting hardware that they had for them. Uh, they had mounting hardware for MacBook Pros, too. Oh, um, my gosh. Because, dude. yeah, where they, like, removed the screen and then just mounted the base uh, to, like, a, a chassis that they can go ahead and put multiple. So... Uh, they have a bunch of like very wacky ways of putting Macs <laughs> in shelves. Uh, at the end of the day, that's what it is. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think Mac Stadium would love. So I, I stumbled on this like on um, on YouTube where there's this guy that, uh, and I'm probably never gonna find that link again. But there was this guy that was uh, putting Raspberry Pis like onto a board as like a blade, and then you oh, could yeah. put these into a machine. Much like you can just like slot hard drives in, um, and it's just a bunch of these blades. The only downside is you have to like route networking to each of them, so you, all of a sudden uh -huh. you need like a, a a switch with many more ports than is capable in like a one U kind of thing to just satisfy all this. But it's hyper hyper compute, right? You have so many yeah. different uh, computers that are all independent, all have their own memory, um, and you can do quite a lot of interesting things with that. So. Um, I'd say that would be the one downside if Apple released an XServe, uh, it would not have that, that the Mac mini currently has like in a five view space, you can just put eight Mac minis front and back, probably even more depending on like how long the, the chassis is. Uh, and those can all work on individual things at the same time rather than, Oh, you have a two Mac mini kind of solution that fits yeah. in you. Um, so I wonder if they like a benefit do there. I wonder if they do like more virtualization or something with that or if they would if they had sort of an extra they just you know 
give you like some gnarly high core count processor and just say like, yeah, you can split this up into 24 Mac minis basically or something. I don't know. Well, it'd be cheaper just to have 24 yeah, Mac mini processors true, that are all independent, right? But it's a very different yeah. thing. Like that's not easy to code for all of a sudden uh, because yeah. it's 24 independent computers, but it's way more dense than having 24 Mac minis uh, like all stacked in weird ways because there are these awkward kind of things. You can just have one uh power supply and then there's just a bunch of these very tiny mag mini boards in in a chassis maybe someone will do that it'll be a very funny uh experiment um but yeah something to think about another day yeah um on the topic of the raspberry pi blades it's probably jeff gearling i know he does a ton of stuff with like raspberry pies um i just subscribed to him on youtube he has a great youtube channel and does a lot of really cool um a lot of raspberry pi stuff he does other stuff but a lot of it is kind of raspberry pi centric and does like those blade servers or uh you know making a 128 core kind of supercomputer out of uh out of raspberry pis and stuff so and it probably still uses less wattage than the actual like 128 core uh xeon yeah, oh, or whatever oh, really yeah. called amz rising <laughs> <AMZ. Ripper. laughs> i don't know what yeah. these things are called yeah um, what I do know is that unfortunately, uh, the base MacBook Pros are getting, uh, half the SSD speeds. Um, and this is something that happened to the MacBook Airs as well. Um, and it is also happening to the, the Mac minis. Um, and yeah, it's just something you should know about. If you get the base SSD, you're going to get worse performance because instead of getting two chips like you did previously two 128 gigabyte chips, you now get one single 256 gigabyte chip uh, and you might be wondering like well that's the same thing well the only reason why there were two chips instead of one uh was for cost because the the one chip actually costs a little bit more than the combination of two cheaper ones uh but also uh you now have two addressable chips rather than one which means that you can send some requests to one of them and send different requests to the other and get double the performance um that said, uh, you no longer get that double performance on the base models because you just start off with a single 256 gigabyte SSC chip. Uh, and that is a shame for a $2,000 starting price computer. Um, it's less of a shame for the Mac Mini, um, but yeah, something to consider uh, when you're buying these things. Go up from 256 uh, to something higher. Well, you probably want that anyways for Xcode, but... Yeah. Uh, if anyone is asking you, like, hey, I want to get a Mac, you seem to know a lot about a Mac because you work for Apple being a programmer for Macs. Uh, so uh, you obviously know all the things, and this is, uh, yeah, watch out. <laughs> yep. Big bummer. Um, on the topic of uh, performance, uh, Mac World has shared um, some comprehensive benchmarks of uh, how the M2 and M2 Pro and Max compared to all the other uh, chips. Um, and they basically, the M2 Pro basically smokes uh, the M1 Max in both single core yeah. and uh, multi core performance. So that's something uh, that was quite surprising. Uh, actually, it's not so surprising because the CPU for the Max was no different than the Pro. Uh, so do keep that in mind. Um, because the Pro and Max have the same CPU, they just differ in GPU. Um, mm -hmm. And was it the was the GPU better as well? 
Y- y- no, yes. the GPU is still well, worse than the M1 Max. The M2 yes, Pro was worse close. than the M1 Max. Yeah. Or sorry, yeah. So what I think is interesting is so the M1 Ultra has two GPU configurations. It's 48 and 64 cores. Mm-hmm. Um, the M2 Max at its 38 core GPU beats the 48 Passes core it. GPU. Yeah. So there's like pretty significant uh, improvements generation generationally from M1 to M2. Um, it, definitely in the GPU area. Um, let's see. Let's go. Yeah. And then the M2 Max is let's see so we're it's all using geekbench so the m1 max gets 12,500 or so points uh and then the m2 pro and max which again are basically the same cpus um get 15,000 so there's a pretty good jump there but again it's probably more to do with the extra two cores there Um, Mm -hmm. i think the more impressive thing is the gpu um, yep. What's cool is this goes from M1 Ultra uh, all the way down to the most, like, I guess the lowest powered currently in circulation, um, even A series. So Apple, like iPhone uh, series chips and iPad uh, f- to the A14 Bionic, which multi-core, of course, the M1, uh, the the Mac sort of centric Apple Silicon beats that. But if you go to the single core... Uh, it's pretty close. Uh, the even on the iPhone, the you know the A14 Bionic, which is we're on A16 Bionic right now, uh, gets about 1600 points, whereas the M1 Ultra is 1771. So it's pretty close. Then you go up to the A16 Bionic, which is the the current A4 or sorry the i iPhone 14 Pro. Uh, that's almost on par with the M2 Pro and Max CPU as far as single-threaded performance. So it's pretty cool that um, it's really just like core count that is making the difference between what's in our computers and what's in our iPhones. It's just like Mm -hmm. sort of probably a thermal and power limit there. Uh, But they're, you know, cramming in a lot of power into iPhones and stuff, so... I thought that was kind of a cool comparison that I hadn't ever really looked into. I've always compared like um, Apple Silicon on the Mac to like Intel and AMD chips on the uh, on the PC side, but I haven't gone from like Mac to iPhone. But the comparison is is pretty cool to look at. Mm-hmm. And iPhone to AMD chips on the PC side, which yeah, I well, think we've been weird. doing for a long time. But that's like the whole reason why we were looking forward to. Apple Silicon, right, um, is Apple's doing such an amazing job on their phones. And that yes. is a battery power, a very small battery powered device that lasts all day um, mm-hmm. compared to this big beefy machine that lasts an hour at best. Um, and the phone was at, out competing that. Yes, it couldn't run that OS, but like that was the only limiting factor. And turns out they use that exact same like component the exact same components on those chips on uh the mac chips and therefore we get the same the same characteristics right it's basically the same geekbench scores um but it's significantly faster than what we had like prior just because like they're doing such a great job there 
Um, yeah. One thing I want to call out, if you need raw CPU performance, the M1 Ultra is still the way to go because that doubles yes. uh, the high-performance cores from 8 to 16. Um, so that's something to to consider if you need a lot of CPU uh, and also a lot of RAM. Uh, but um, like we'll likely get an M2 Ultra very soon, um, and then that'll be a very different story. Yep. Uh, and then last on the the whole performance uh, bandwagon and like any follow up from uh, the devices that we talked about last week uh, is one for me. Uh, wi Fi 6E on the M2 Max MacBook Pro is fast. Um, I was able to. Uh, I think the highest I've ever seen uh, was 1,700 megabits, uh, which uh, to, set, to set megabits per second. Oh, you didn't? Oh, oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, my bad. Yeah, my bad. so in megabytes, that would be uh, divide by eight. So 212 megabytes per second. Right, um, that's right. Which uh, doesn't seem as impressive, uh, but is a lot. Um, that's ex- a lot, yeah. Like, Especially considering like gigabit Ethernet is a thousand gigabits uh, per second, or no, a thousand megabits, one gigabit, um, which is about 120, I think, Uh, 125 uh, megabytes per second. So um, way faster than wired Ethernet, if that is the kind of Ethernet that you're using. Uh, The only thing is that you have to have a network that supports a more than gigabit. Um, and you have to have access points that also support uh, Wi-Fi 6E, um, which uh, and have um, and have a connection that is higher than a gigabit. Otherwise, you're never going to get these speeds. They will be right. impossible. Where you will see these speeds is in um, oh, what's that called when you full duplex? Uh, so Wi-Fi, as you may not know, is half duplex, uh, which means that. You can spend all your time sending or all your time receiving, but you can't do both at the same time um, because Wi-Fi is just limited in that way. But if you have uh, so much headroom where you can do 1,700 in one way, uh, that means that you can also do 800 both ways at the same time. Um, So that um, does bring it closer to gigabit Ethernet um, as well. So even if you're limited by your network and by your um, access points that don't necessarily support um, like they can't necessarily give you a backend, a backhaul that's like higher than gigabit. You will still get more advantage from, uh, these devices as you start upgrading your access points and stuff like that. So, uh, definitely, uh, fun to look forward to over the next few years as all of this expands. Um, we'll probably get Wi-Fi 7 by then. I think there's, there yeah. are like a few Wi-Fi 7 devices that are starting to creep out. Um, the main difference between Wi-Fi 6E and, or Wi-Fi 6 and 6E and Wi-Fi 7 is the maximum channel width goes from 160 to 320. So you just double everything again. Um, I think there are a bunch of other improvements on the, like, actual, uh, wire communication, even though there's no wire, uh, air communication. Um, and that, like, beefs it up even more, uh, from there, but it might also require more power and stuff like that. So, We'll see what the like maximum throughput of uh, Wi-Fi seven devices are, but uh, with the latest and greatest, uh, you can expect a thousand seven hundred, um, like in the best condition. No human in between the laptop and the access point. This is yeah. like clear, clear air, uh, and not too many other things using the network. But that's where Wi-Fi six E 
kind of benefits, you get a whole new spectrum that nothing is currently using. Um, whereas five gigahertz is like, hey, you can mostly use it except if you live near an airport and they just broadcast something and then all your devices only disconnect because you're oh, using no. <laughs> uh, DFU channels. Uh, so I don't think that's the case anymore. I think they kind of got kicked off of those channels because Wi-Fi was more important than airports. Um, like they can sure. use other frequencies. Uh, whereas everyone is kind of like moving onwards uh, with faster and faster in-home technologies um, that shouldn't be disrupted by random uh, weather reports. So uh, yeah, things are improving um, and it's only going to get better from here because uh, we'll have faster and faster wireless stuff. Yeah. It's cool that we're kind of reaching parity with gigabit ethernet. Again, like talking about duplexes, we're not quite there. Um but yeah, like getting to that point is cool. And then I'm sure inevitably in the next few years, we'll move to maybe like 2.5 gigabit uh, Ethernet being kind of a standard or something. And so with Wi-Fi, I'll have to catch up. But um, it's nice that like you don't really, if uh, again, if you have good like connection and line of sight and everything to the AP and everything, you don't really sacrifice too much by like jumping over to Wi-Fi as opposed to uh, being on kind of hardwired on a device that can can do that so it's cool yeah i would say the only benefit now is the consistency of the connection right sure. if you're on wi-fi and you move one room to the other you might still be connected to the worst one whereas mm -hmm. if you're wired you plug in the new wire and you're back to full yeah. throttle so that is where like wired uh networks are still going to win um but for the most part i'd say wireless is the new norm um, especially high throughput wireless. Like we're finally at that point where it's no longer really a compromise. Um, if you yeah. might forget to plug in at this point and you might not need to, uh, which is really cool, I think. Yeah. Speaking of wireless, um, Apple may not be doing anything with their wireless chips that they've been working on. So they've been working on uh, both a their own like Wi-Fi cards and 5G cards as well. Um, I know for 5G they definitely want to get away from Broadcom and just do their own thing. Which Qualcomm for 5G. Oh, sorry, Qualcomm. Yes, thank you. Uh, which makes sense. So uh, yeah, they're gonna kind of shift focus, uh, which I think is fine. To uh, just focusing on Apple Silicon, kind of their. I mean, they've got. They're, you know, doing Apple Silicon, they're doing Wi-Fi and um, 5G. They're just going to kind of move over everything, kind of their focus to Apple Silicon and make sure that I think it kind of cited just increased um, performance and I uh, can't remember if it was clock speed. You might have to take over for me. Hold on. Let's see. Yeah, so it says um, this is one of the Apple, you know, sort of insiders talking says the slowdown of processor upgrades is unfavorable to the sales of end products, therefore to ensure that the world's most advanced three nanometer processors can enter mass production smoothly uh, and the performance and power consumption uh, improvements uh, can improve their kind of devoting their resources over to just working on that instead of the Wi-Fi cards and 5G, which I think is fine. People, I mean... There are people that are making the 5G modems and uh, Wi-Fi cards already. So no one else is doing Apple Silicon. So they kind of need to do focus that. I think that's fine. Yeah. Um, there are some like regressions from going from the Intel 
uh, Max to the Apple Silicon Max. Uh, with regard to Wi-Fi, like Wi-Fi did get slower uh, when we transitioned away from the Intel uh, MacBook Pro line. Um, and that's just because different sets of chips were now being used. Um, and that's probably why Apple wanted to invest more time in that specifically. One, to get away from Qualcomm, uh, but two, to have more consistency and more control over what kind of chips and what power envelope uh, they wanted to be available for those chips. So, um, yeah, we might, like, if Apple were to continue doing this, we might get faster than just 1,700, right? Um, because yeah. they can be more efficient with uh, how many streams they open up to the access point. They can go ahead and double that even because the access point still has a few radios free at that moment in time to kind of uh, communicate with more at once. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, that said, I do agree that, uh, like you said, the three nanometer process is probably more important to use on Apple Silicon, especially now that everyone is kind of just saying, uh, power be damned, let's go f- as fast as possible because Apple smoked us on no power. Um, yeah. So yeah, Intel and AM, uh, I'm going to say AMZ again because I, my brain is uh, not giving me the right letter. Um, but uh, those two companies, uh, they have made faster processors since um and yes they consume 20 times the power but yeah. uh they they have regained the title of uh fastest cpus on single core and stuff like that um so uh i think it's important for apple to uh compete in that space because it it sends a strong message that they're not messing around and the mac is important to them um i'm kind of interested to see how many more processor generations are left uh because there's only a certain amount of uh like transistor shrink that you can do before there's no more shrink possible like atoms are only so big and you can't go smaller uh than that for building things based on atoms so yeah it'll be interesting to see like how many more of these we have left three nanometers one we're probably gonna hit two uh like half a decade later uh but then i don't think there's gonna be another big one for a long time after that until we like start building entirely new technologies that are going to replace uh silicon so uh yeah it's it's going to be interesting to see where things end up maybe we just end up with so much processing power that we don't really need more um but we're still at the point where we can use more um we can use more density we can use more uh memory we can use faster connections um and yeah the cpu is just one piece of that so looking forward to it yep it's kind of interesting to like, I don't know what Apple does on their processors, but like on the kind of, again, like AMD and Intel side, like how they're kind of innovating and dealing with transistor sizes, kind of either maybe the process isn't ready to go from like seven to five or whatever. And they have to kind of make new ways to make the current um, transistor size faster or better as they like instead of having sort of a two-dimensional gate, they have, like, these 3D gates and stuff. So Mm -hmm. there's, like, ways of improving it, but, like, probably, again, up to a certain point, like, both on the size, but also, like, how they kind of lay out the transistors and stuff. So, yeah, it'll be... We're kind of approaching that point where it's, like, so just ridiculously small that I don't know what they're going to do either. Yeah. I did see some technology, like... A long time ago, but using photons instead of electrons, and the main benefit there is oh. you don't 
have uh, nearly as much heat, uh, which means that you can 3D pack things a lot more densely. Uh, but we need to develop that technology to the point where it can catch up with uh, the electron-based uh, right. gates that we currently have. So it's going to be a long time before that kind of thing uh, starts becoming relevant, especially since there's no real need yet uh, to go in that direction. But uh, you can bet that people are starting to look at it now, uh, especially as the end is in sight for uh, where single core can go for a given power envelope, right? Um, time, not time, but space is running out. Uh, there's only so much you can you can cram in in a specific amount of space. So uh, it'll be interesting to see where it ends up. Yep. On the topic of light uh, reaching our processors, uh, light might be reaching our eyes soon uh, in the form of uh, fancy AR goggles and glasses. Um, and this is in the news because apparently like a year ago, Apple gave a demo and people are hearing about it now uh, where uh, their fancy uh, AR goggles slash glasses allowed anyone to just make contents for uh, AR uh, using Siri. Um, so our friendly neighborhood assistant, which got an update, it no longer repeats what you said. It just goes, uh, which I kind of like, I think. Uh, but yeah, that, that same assistant... Uh, it can, it would seemingly be able to just like make stuff for you based on you telling it what you want. Like you look at a, you look at a, a water bottle and you say, I want this water bottle in my 3d thing. Uh, and it just kind of scans it. So I think that would be really cool. Uh, Apple's clearly working on this technology. They just kind of put it out in the open, uh, in terms of like their SDKs and stuff. So, um, it's just a matter of time before they make the other thing that you can put on your face. Yep. Uh, unfortunately, this article was, um, uh, what do you call it, paywalled for me, so I couldn't read it. Um, but yeah, it'd be interesting if they kind of go, in, like, I don't know, when it says, like, the title is Apple devising software to help anyone build AR apps um, to drive headset sales. Um, do they, like, really mean anyone? Like, it kind of does seem with the the three paragraphs, or th- two and a half paragraphs that I can read, um uh, it does say, like, you know, with software tools, Apple hopes that even people who don't know computer code could tell mm-hmm. the headset, uh, like like Dimitri said, with Siri to, to do something. Um, so it almost seems like <clears throat> I don't want to necessarily compare it to, like, TikTok or, like, Instagram or something, but, like, where anyone can make content and then it's, there's maybe some sort of, like, marketplace app store type thing where, um, you know, there could be basic like maybe like app clip type things where it's like it's a basic type app where it's not full featured, but um, anyone could host experiences like VR experiences or something. I don't know. I don't know what it's going to look like, but that's it's an interesting move and makes sense to sort of crowdsource the development of whatever these applications are outside of the developer space uh, to anyone and see what people's kind of creativity can um, come up with that's something that i've noticed like <clears throat> working on uh luma fusion is like people will use the app in ways that like we definitely didn't think of i guess if that makes sense like they'll come up with crazy transitions that like we didn't really think were possible and you know people just make these crazy things with the app that we're building but they do it in ways that are completely sort of not something that we foresaw. So I wonder if mm-hmm. that's sort of what Apple's hoping for, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, as long as you give enough building blocks, right? Um, think of shortcuts, for instance. You give a lot of sure. out-of-the-box like abilities, uh, and you don't necessarily dictate how those can be used, and then people will find a way to use them creatively, right? Um, I think this goes back to like the whole bicycle to mind uh, thing that Steve Jobs used to say a lot, um, where if you allow people to be creative and you give them the tools to be creative, they're going to go ahead and run with it um, mm-hmm. or they're going to cycle with it, I guess. Um, and this reminds me a lot of HyperTalk, right? That was a platform, an app or application, uh, depending on like which era you're in, uh, that would allow you or allow anyone to build an experience for a computer, right? You don't have to know pascal you don't have to know programming uh you just have to have an idea in your head and enough tools to kind of put the building blocks together to get the result that you want um and i think having something like this for ar would be game-changing it would allow anyone to really uh put things together in a way that's going to make sense for them and help their individual like unique experience right um we've kind of lost a lot of that as uh, programming has become such an in-depth thing and then uh, regular computer usage has become a very um, consumable thing, right? You're just consuming content rather than creating content. Uh, but like you said, the more powerful apps that exist, uh, especially on these nascent platforms, and I say nascent despite them being like 20 years old at this point, um, I don't think the iPad and iPhone are 20 years old, but they're, they no, certainly feel like right. they're getting there. Um, and... It's about time that we have more apps like LumaFusion that give the building blocks to do truly creative things, right? Um, that let you step out of exactly what people intended and start building things that are unique to what you want to build. Um, and yeah, it's it's exciting. <laughs> it is exciting. It's very cool. Um, <clears throat> kind of continuing on the um, the vein of this whatever headset goggle thing that Apple's working on. Um, There's kind of a little bit more information about the way that it'll work and everything. And just to start off and kind of this gave context, I suppose, for how all in Apple is. I mean, I know Apple has a lot of people working for them, but um, Bloomberg says that there is a team of more than 1000 people that have spent the last seven years working on this uh, headset, which is like, so much time and so much, so many people, so many man hours uh, dedicated to this. So seems like this is like really something that they, I mean, like this, like wholly predates talks of the metaverse and everything. Like they've been doing this for, if this is true, a long time, way before any of that. So um, I think that's super cool <laughs> to, I mean, I guess in the context of this isn't sort of some cash grab that they think, oh, yeah, we're going to capitalize on the metaverse. It's like they think there's more of a use case than that, I suppose. So uh, some of the cool things that it talks about is eye and hand tracking capabilities, um, the ability to sort of make it a VR headset, and then at your leisure, you can sort of um, turn off the VR, and it turns into more of an AR headset so you can see the world around you. Um, being able to sort of select things like it has eye tracking. So if there's a button you want to press, you look at it and then there's like a finger like pinch gesture, like you tap your finger, like your, 
index and thumb together. Yeah, I don't know. So I guess what I'm trying to say is like there's a lot of thought that seems to have gone in this. You don't have to hold something, which is cool. Um, there will be a way to uh, make it essentially a monitor, like extend your your max display to this. So you can use your mouse and keyboard and everything, but the display is sort of an AR um, experience. Um, yeah, it has an external battery pack, which I think is interesting. Um, that'll give it about two hours of charge. So, yeah. I won't what need else? my crazy display setup anymore, right? If I have yeah. an AR display, that's an infinite canvas. That's all I truly care about is just having a lot of yes. space to throw things. Um, yeah. And yeah, all of that becomes meaningless if you have something that is just limited by your field of view and then you turn your head and there's more, right? I um, would so love that. I would love that future. We're getting there little so by little. Good. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely going to be, I wonder how much this is going to be, uh, like when the iPhone was like heavily rumored about to come out and we had a whole bunch of mocks of like an iPod with like a number dial rotary dial. Yeah. 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 Those those mocks (laughs) that, that came out. Um, there were all sorts that were like really, really wacky. Um, or it was like a full touchscreen device, but you still had the, the click wheel, um, as like a yes. UI element. Um, and I'm sure those came out of like early prototypes. It's like, hey, what if we did something like this? Um, maybe they didn't make the prototype. They just like put a design on a, on a presentation and like showed it to people and kind of got their mm-hmm. input and that got leaked. Um, sure. but like how much of these air glasses and air goggles that we're hearing today mimic that? And that is like what I'm truly curious about, right? How much of it is just going to match our expectations when they eventually do show it off uh duct tape solution um, on Tim Cook's head uh, without like anyone uh, drawing, um, drawing uh, attention to it. Right. Um, And I think that is going to be, that is going to be the truly exciting moment because so many things are exciting this episode. Um, And I, I like, yeah, I don't know what else to say. It's gonna be fun. Yeah. Um, I think another cool thing is like, it says it'll probably have apps like Safari, Photos, Mail, Messages, the App Store, Apple TV. Um, another thing that they kind of want to probably market a lot is like that it will be a dedicated video watching uh, thing. There's, you know, a dedicated video watching feature that will allow them to have like a big screen. And I know maybe it'll be called Apple TV. I don't know. (laughs) Apple TV AR, uh, TVR, if you will. Uh, I know that like the, uh, when I had very briefly an Oculus, uh, the very first Oculus headset pre Facebook, um, it was there, there was like a movie watching thing that you could pull up YouTube and you were like in a theater or you could change the location and stuff, which, the resolution was terrible, so it looked terrible. But I'd assume on something like this, they'd probably take resolution into account and have some sort of retina uh, spec as a standard that they would have for like if you're going to be watching videos or especially using something as uh, using it as a monitor or multiple monitors, uh, you'd have to have good enough resolution to be able to like discern text in Xcode or something. So. Uh, the good news cool. is you, you only have to render work. what you're focusing on in high resolution, right? You can ignore yes. everything else because our eyeballs are dumb. Yeah, foveated rendering is super cool. 
but it'd be super cool. You just, you know, hit command R and it just like pops a little window up right in front of you. Ah, I mean, that's what it does with the simulator, but I don't know. It's cool if it's on your face, I guess. Yeah. We're, I think we're missing the number one feature here. When you're in bed and you have an iPod, uh, an iPad or an iPhone above your head, it will never again fall on your face. Yes. I, uh, I had my phone hit my tooth and it like slightly loosened it. I was super worried and I went to the dentist and he's like, no, it's fine, but <laughs> injured like, by phone. Yeah, it definitely happens. That'll be nice. So our, our magic, our magic sand device is uh, now becoming a, a lethal weapon towards our faces. <laughs> no face is safe. No face is safe. <laughs> Until we just strap it to our face. You know what I mean? Yeah. All faces will be safe. Uh, exactly. Uh, on the topic of uh, things uh, being safe, uh, the source code to the Apple Lisa uh, is now like safe and viewable to all because the Lisa has turned 40 and the Computer History Museum, which is a very, very cool place if you're interested in like technology and you're in uh, Northern California, uh, like the Bay Area in general. Uh, I guess it's not the Bay south of the bay i don't know if you're in northern california look up the computer history museum and plan your trip along like with the ability to like go through there um it's a really cool place um and they are making all of the code for the apple lease available um this is like one of the first not the first it's one of the first uh ui based computers um predating the macintosh uh but coming after the xerox spark i think it was called um and i think it's it's cool that uh this allows everyone to kind of learn from it um and to view it as a historical resource right um i think we we may have reported on like the iphone getting emulation for the first time like a month or two ago um and the lisa has long had emulation through like sheepsaver or whatever it's called um and this is like one step further this is the actual code for it uh including the comments including uh the thought process that went behind it so um i think that's really nice that that is now available as just a resource for everyone um and i kind of wish copyright in general worked this way (laughs) where like people that have a long-running copyright would just make things public but uh disney ruined that for everyone um so i'm glad to see that the tech space is not following that precedent super heavily and eventually making things open. Yeah. I think in, you know, especially in the tech space, it's like, what is someone going to do with the source code to the Lisa? Like nothing, like there's no financial benefit for like not putting that in the public domain. Like the, the code is well, I don't know past its prime i guess or what the code was running on is past its prime so like there's no reason to sort of i don't know keep it It, it's a dead platform right it's it's pre-mac os so um i i didn't really actually know much about the lisa this article that we'll link to is is pretty cool too because it just talks about a little bit about the history of the lisa and like dimitri said kind of steve jobs going to zero i think it was xerox um the ones that actually made sort of the first gui for a for a computer and you know steve josh just being like oh yeah this is this is the future this is what computers need to be and everything 
Um, and I mentioned that the Lisa was $9,995 uh, new. I just put that into a like an, a calculator for what that would be worth today. It's almost $30,000. You could buy a nice car for the price of a Lisa, dude. And you'd That's be buying insane. a slow computer that had graphics, basically. This week's episode of Code Completion is brought to you by Hungry. Hungry, that's hungry with three U's, is the iPhone, iPad, and Apple Watch app you turn to when you really want to eat, but are blinded by the multitude of choices available to you and your insatiable hunger. Hungry isn't there to help you discover new restaurants or flavors. No, it has a much more humble purpose. You tell it all about your favorite restaurants, and it will deploy its cryptographically advanced random number generator, invoked by shaking your phone in frustration, to make the decision of what to eat for you. Stuck at home in quarantine and sick of ordering pizza? Use Hungry. Did Hungry just suggest pizza again? Don't fret, as options for another cuisine, a cheaper option, something closer, or simply another place are just a button away. Hungry also comes with a collection of fun animated iMessage stickers so you can share your hunger with others. That Thanks again to Hungry for sponsoring our show. Search for Hungry, that's H-U-U-U-N-G-R-Y, on the App Store today to give it a try. So Spencer, I've got a code completion tipped for you. Um... And I think a lot of people probably are no longer familiar with uh, shebangs, but did you know you could use shebangs with Swift code? I don't know what a shebang is, I don't think. Ah, excellent. So I got to explain what ancient computer, how ancient computers used to run. <laughs> uh, so uh, when, when you weren't quite a programmer, but you wanted to be a programmer, you would write a script, right? Um, sure. And a script is not something that's compiled. But anyone could just run it on the command line, like many of the other command line tools that were available. Uh, so when you run something on the command line, you type out the path to your command, and then you pass in any arguments, and it just runs, right? But if you just have a text file, you might be wondering, like, how is that going to run? It's just text, um, and your code would just be in that text file. Uh, and the key part there uh, is the shebang line. Uh, the shebang line abused the fact that many programming languages used uh, the hash uh, symbol uh, as a comment. Um, and therefore, that line was commented out. Um, but it was followed by an exclamation mark, the bang. So the shebang uh, line, uh, uh, followed by space. And then you pass in the program that needs to be used to compile the text that follows. Uh, so in this case, or in... A long, long time ago case, that would be user bin slash Perl. Um, and then the Perl code that you had would just run anytime you executed this file. Um, turns out that works like nowadays too with Swift files. So you can start your Swift file off with a shebang uh, that says user slash bin slash Swift uh, and then your Swift code. And then if you were to go to the terminal uh, and type out the path to your Swift file, that will just run as if it were a fully compiled program. Now, the the usage around this is okay with Swift. Like, you can use the stuff that's pre-bundled on your OS, but if you wanted your scripts to include any packages, you're kind of out of luck because it's not like you have a full package here. You just have one file that just has everything. So uh, out to help you is Swift-SH... Um, and this is a Swift shell extension. Uh, and it turns out the Swift command line tool is actually very useful if you put a space and then 
any other keyword right afterwards, it's going to look for something named Swift dash that keyword to execute whatever you want to run. So it's a very useful mm. like way of including extensions. And there are a bunch of extensions that are bundled with Xcode that work this way, but it also works for anything you install elsewhere. So if you install Swift dash SH, uh, that comes with a very handy ability where anytime you import a package, if you follow that package import with a comment that say uh, says where that package is from, a GitHub username, uh, a GitHub Git link uh, directly, and then has like a tilde arrow, I want this version, uh, it's going to synthesize a package for you um, and import that package um, as oh. like a dependency. So it does all that transparently for you. So you just write your script, uh, you import whatever libraries you need, bytes, um, Swift Neo, whatnot. Uh, and then you have like a one file uh, super script uh, that the first time you run, it's going to get compiled. Uh, so it might sure. take a little bit. Uh, but <laughs> then from that point forward, it's just going to be cached and you can just run it to do whatever you need to run. So that means you can use oh. uh, Swift write scripts that um, can do other useful things. That's super cool. I, yeah. The more you know. That's the cool. more you know. I, I'm trying to think of like a good use case for it. For, But that's cool that you could kind of, I guess, script a little bit better in, in Swift. Like yeah. Anytime you needed to write a bash cool. script, you can just skip that step and just write it in Swift. And that's the, right, yeah. that's the superpower. Cool. So for our mini review corner today, um, we, we were talking about this a little bit uh, earlier, uh, but I got new glasses. And as you can see in the YouTube video, I have very green eyes uh, as a result of that. Um, and I don't know what's up with, with the glasses uh, there, uh, but I really needed new glasses because it's been like, I think it was the same for you, Spencer, like years uh, since yeah, I nice. had uh, a new pair and... The film that w like, that's causing this green abomination right now, uh, that film on my old pair was like deteriorating away from sweat and like the roughness of the world over the past like four years. Um, and as a result, like anytime I breathed with like a mask, it would fog like the whole thing would fog up. But that part that was deteriorated would start condensing. So it would never go away when you like stopped breathing or like readjusted yeah. your glasses and then I had to clean them. It was, it was a big pain. Uh, tons of scratches everywhere. Um, so yeah, this is me saying if you haven't gotten new glasses since the pandemic, uh, <laughs> uh, they're waiting for you to be, uh, picked up at their <laughs> atrocious pricing. Um, yes. and I am very happy that I can see clearly. I'm kind of bummed that I'm this, I have these green eyes now, um, for the, the YouTube version of this podcast, but, uh, it is what it is. Um, I get to, I get to do that, I guess. Yeah. I, yeah, I just went to the optometrist the other, like last week or something. So got a new prescription in hand. I just need to use it. It'll be good. Um, you could, you could use dark mode on windows and stuff. That might cut down on the glare a little bit. Ooh, good point. I hate dark mode though. So really? Oh yeah. my gosh! I, I hundred percent of the time use dark mode. It's Oof, no, I can't. I don't endorse. Oh, not sure if we can continue this podcast. Uh, I, I like reading texts of black on white, not white on black. That's like you a, a hard. No, I, I couldn't. I couldn't. It was <laughs> it was the worst. So, 
Yeah, and then you get all these reflections on your monitor because now like everything's black and everything has glossy screens, and then you start seeing everything. Oh, Um, I don't have a glossy screen. Oh yeah, that that probably helps tremendously. Yeah, you didn't. You're not gonna pay another thousand dollars for your nano textured pro display xdr my guy dude i have cats that wake me up in the morning by licking the wall i don't know what's gonna happen if they lick the screen (laughs) (laughs) and and like i verify too there's no lead paint in the walls i don't know why like and cats can't taste sweets uh so i don't know why my cat is licking the wall but uh that is like a one of those uh grating triggers that just like immediately wakes you up um and Mm. that's the cat's way of I don't know how she learned that that's getting our attention, but it is 100% getting our attention. It's just a grating sound on the wall of yeah. a, a wet tongue licking it. Um, <laughs> and I don't know how we got to this point, but Gross, yeah, no dude. no nano texture for me. That's fair. Uh, I think it's that's immediately going to be ruined by cats. As always, I want to personally thank everyone for listening in this week. Please be sure to follow us on mastodon.social at CodeCompletion to know when new episodes go live. And feel free to toot at us if there's ever a topic you'd like for us to dig into. Most importantly, as a small podcast, please be sure to share this with your friends and family who are also interested in any part of the process of app development. It's your support that enables us to continue doing this, and we hope to grow a healthy community around everything we discuss. Once again, I want to give my thanks to Spencer, who is at Spencer C. Curtis. That's S P E N C. E-R-C-C-U-R-T-I-S for joining me this week. My name, once again, is Dimitri. You can find me at Dimitri Buniol. That's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-B-O-U-N-I-O-L. And we'll see you all next week. Bye. Um, okay, I want to talk about briefly uh, a few things. Uh, the first one, uh, what's up with iCloud Keychain? Does this ever happen to you where you go to like GitHub and you sign in with the thing that's like saved and then... Out of nowhere, it's like, do you want to save your password? And it makes you super anxious yeah. because why is it asking me to save a password that it just auto-completed? Does that happen to you? Yeah. Have yeah, you clicked the, the save password button? No. Okay. Just checking. I have not either. Uh, this morning when I was uh, prepping to send our uh, final uh, tweets on Twitter to tell people to go on Mastodon, um, I needed to log in to uh the the code completion uh twitter account uh and i had two like passwords one older and one newer um and i was like i don't know which one uh so i clicked on one of them that was the older one uh and that didn't work so i was i clicked on the password thing ready to click the newer one or tap on Mm -hmm. the newer one and it wasn't there anymore it just went poof right the moment that i chose the wrong one and i am at this point panicking because I don't know if Twitter's account recovery thing works at this point. Um, like, this might be the last time I gain access yeah. to this account. Uh, so I am running. Div- I quickly turn on airplane mode on the phone. I'm running to device to device. iPad tainted. Only has the new one now. Oh. Uh, MacBook Pro tainted. Thankfully, old iPad that I'm using as my secondary monitor right here um, is always on uh, Luna display. And as a result, it's like always late for like all the notifications and re-signing into Apple. It's always like delayed on all that. So I'm like, uh. so I go on there, I check there, tainted. So I'm like, oh no, it's not on anything anymore. This iMac Pro that I'm using right now, I don't know if Intel's slow or something. Intel baby, yeah, yeah it still had it. <laughs> so I'm like, quickly, I copy the password. The moment I copy it, 
I notice the record changes and it's gone. So I'm like, yes, I have the password. Now oh. I can't copy anything else. So I like immediately paste it into notes, into uh, like all sorts of different things as like a way of having it. Uh, I log in, I replace the password on everything. That has happened to me like three times over the past like oh. two years. And like that is not normal, right? I've lost a GitHub uh, password through that. And that one was a panic because like there's a whole bunch of steps to get account recovery when you have two factor turned on uh, mm-hmm. there. Um, and yeah, that was that was a, a heart uh, wrenching moment to kind of find a computer that was off and then turn it on without uh, Wi-Fi. So that way I could get access back to that one. But because yeah. of that happened to me, I knew immediately, like, let's turn on airplane mode and like run to another computer to find it. But yeah, what's up with that? Why is iCloud like asking me to re like save passwords? And why is it saving passwords on its own? I feel like something that was working super reliably is kind of not. And that is terrifying because I have all my passwords in there. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think I've had that issue. Um, I have definitely gone on websites like where it's like, do you want to save your password? I'm like, eh, I'm pretty sure I've already saved it. So no. Um it got me thinking, though. I wonder if there's, like, I know it's not, like, terribly safe, but, like, I wonder if there's some utility to, like, Back export up. and encrypt, yeah, your entire iCloud keychain. I think you can export now. Oh, that might okay, be an you? excellent idea. Yeah, because oh, I'm, like, I'm using Touch ID on this old keyboard, and there's just an eject button, and I have to be reminded of what eject is useful for. Um, there isn't export items, although it's grayed out for me, even if I select something. Export all passwords. Are you sure you want to export your passwords? Export them. Where's that? Uh, I'm just going to put my downloads because that's a safe place to put all your passwords. Absolutely. To the hacker that's going to hack me, check my downloads folder. That's where... <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, it's just a CSV with all the passwords. Uh, Not even, like, encrypted or anything? I am instantly command-optioning. So if you don't know this, command-option-delete key uh, will instantly, like, poof it. Not even to the trash. So that one's a useful one. Nice. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, don't ever do what I just did on a computer that doesn't have encrypted disks, um, because that's that's also easily recoverable. Um, yeah. But yeah, I might I might regularly back up and like save like yeah. back up to an encrypted DMG or something, uh, and then yeah. save that somewhere because that was like for the stupid Twitter thing that I probably don't care about, but like the GitHub one really scared me. Um, and I don't yeah, ever want definitely. that to happen again. Oh, here's another tip for the stupid iCloud passwords. Uh, if you ever like hate typing your Apple ID password because it ten- ended up being the longest password you own, uh, you can make a new password okay. password entry uh, in in oh. the iCloud passwords thing. And I named mine a dot Apple, um, and it categorizes these by like the subdomain. Not the subdomain, the main part of the domain. Um, but it's use Apple as a top-level domain, which Apple thankfully owns, so I'm never going to accidentally type this on the wrong site. But if you make one for a.apple and then you put your 
uh, your Apple ID credentials there, then it'll always be at the top of the list whenever you need to search for an Apple ID password to type to like autocomplete um, for the various like Apple TV needs you to re-sign in or Apple Watch needs to re-sign in. That will be the first entry and that will like be awesome. So I recommend doing that too. Nice. I I have like a not terribly long email address, but um, I I went in. You know, you can have like um, oh the text replacements, text replacements. Yeah, yeah, so yeah do, I've like, done slash, that for slash, long emails too. Yeah, slash slash e space, and then it puts my email in. Yeah, I have text replacements also for all the like command option shift key symbols. Um, so mine is like star yeah. cc command. Uh, star and then that will just replace with like the command symbol um and that's super useful oh, when, like, nice. communicating keyboard shortcuts and stuff um, that's good yeah digging through um whatever the emoji menu or whatever is, is kind of a pain it's not the emoji menu it's it now yeah. is the unicode picker right yeah yeah um yeah talking about text editing that's the second thing i wanted to to poke you about uh has notes been like the worst on the Mac lately? So on the Mac, when you open notes, uh, for whatever reason, I can't like click and type. I can double click and select, but I can't just like click somewhere and start typing. It will just go where the cursor last was. I don't know if this is because <laughs> I have a lot of notes windows open. It's just broken. Um, and it's like super janky. And I don't know if it's just me or not. Uh, the other part of notes that I find is just broken in general is on iOS. If you uh, double tap and then drag to select stuff, uh, you can select and copy it, right? And then you go to another note and you're like ready to replace. So you double tap to select stuff and you're like, I want to do command V or I want to tap on then do paste. You can't do that because the text view did not like start editing yet. And that's the worst. Like you can't just oh. like replace it because it's not an editable text view yet. Um, right. And that drives me nuts every single time because when <laughs> I prepare the show notes, I'm copy pasting between like two notes uh, back right. and forth. So I need to uh, realize that that doesn't work and then tap to start editing and then redo the selection thing. And it's like, oh, my goodness. Um, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I've not. It's uh, me to be nuts honest, lately. The, on, <laughs> the only time I use the notes app is for code completion. Otherwise, I use um, IA Writer. So. I, I don't know. I use it very sparingly. Yeah. Um, I think we use it the most at home because you can share notes with yeah. like others. Um, and I just have like a shared folder with my wife and we have everything in there um, just because it's convenient. She notes something down. I have access to it. Um, yeah. So like for the most part, at least it's solid, right? It's not deleting stuff left and right. Um, but okay. Like, I, I needed to learn new tricks for editing. Like, if I want to start typing somewhere, I just, like, double-click, drag to where I want to be, arrow key, and then I can start typing there. And it's, like... And that sucks because it messes with your muscle memory. Yeah, and then that becomes your muscle memory, which is also yeah. the worst. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Okay. Um, I don't have anything else to rant about. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for listening. Bye. Bye.